that there were um, there were um, men who were failing, who uh, scribes who were were, were um, potentially uh, making some mistakes. But I don't want to get into all that. But what I, what I want you to uh, understand is that the original writings are, are what are the most important, and they are inerrant. The, the Bible is the authoritative word of God. There is nothing that uh, speaks truth like the Bible. Okay, that that all truth is God's truth, but but God reveals specifically what He wants us to know through His Word, and that's the inerrancy of Scripture. There's no errors in the original writings, and so we agree with that. We promote that doctrine, but that's not what I'm talking about here. This is a doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture, and the doctrine of sufficiency of Scripture is actually assuming that we understand and believe the inerrancy of Scripture. Okay, so that's kind of the foundation, that the Scriptures are true. Now we le- that leads us to the sufficiency of Scripture. And that means that the Bible contains all that we need and instructs us authoritatively in all areas of our faith and life. Okay, so we don't have to go to outside resources in order to determine what the Bible, or what God thinks about what it means to be a man or what it means to be a, a woman. We don't have to do that. Okay, so Second Timothy, or I'm sorry, Second Peter 1, 3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. We may wish that God would say more about biblical masculinity and femininity or any other, you know, thing that, that's going on in our life. We wish God would say more. Tell us more clearly. Give us more information. Tell us what we ought to do, what we ought to think. We may wish that, but what this doctrine tells us is that God has told us everything that we need to know about these things. Okay? And and so uh, we want we want to start there. Now sometimes God tells us what he wants to know through explicit command or a prohibition, do this or don't do that. Sometimes it's through broader principles. Okay, we, we look through the life of a character in Scripture and we see a principle about God or about life. Uh, sometimes it's through drawing out implications from, from Scripture. And so, so sometimes it's extremely clear and sometimes we have to do some, some digging. But whatever the case is, all that we need to make biblical and reasonable decisions in any area of life, specifically with what we're talking about here, biblical masculinity and femininity, the Scripture is sufficient to tell us what we ought to do. And here's where we get that from. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. You, however, Paul says, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now, would someone read verse 16 for us? All right, and then someone else read verse 17. So the verse we want to focus on is verse 16, and you've heard me refer to this verse often, and I will not stop reminding you about what you already know. Okay, verse 16, all scripture is 
inspired by God. This is what Jonathan's talking about, how the Scriptures are inspired by God, that God through His Holy Spirit had men write down the words of Scripture so that it didn't make them perfect. It didn't make the men who were writing them perfect. It made their words perfect. That is, the very words God wanted them to use. Um, and and God worked through the personalities of these authors so that you can see the personalities uh, come through, right? Especially in Paul, you know, he's, when he's kind of struggling through different things, you can kind of see it written down there on the paper. But that's exactly what God wanted there for us. And because it's inspired by God, and because God is the, the ultimate author of it, it is, notice verse 16, it is profitable for us for teaching and for reproof, correction, and training in righteousness so that we will be equipped for every good work. And so this is a long way in saying that the plan in this class is to tie the, the biblical ideas of masculinity and femininity and the implications that we draw from Scripture. We want to, we want to tie them to Scripture. We don't want to come to Scripture and say, this is our idea of what a man is, and this is our idea of what a woman is. Now, let's see if we can find it in here. We actually want to draw out what the Scriptures say about what a man is and what a woman is. And then we want to change our life to conform ourselves to it. Um, and so to do that, uh, we're going to have to, to, to look into some passages of Scripture in, um, in Ephesians and other places where we will see the roles of men and women. And the hope uh, is that through this class that, that we will be clear as the Scriptures are clear, and then we're more cautious where the Scriptures are not clear. And, uh, w- and, and when the Scriptures are not explicitly clear on, on certain issues with regard to masculinity and femininity, we will be more gracious. We will handle these things in a loving way with one another recognizing that there may be disagreement among good people, um, uh, good people that may even, uh, that, that will be in heaven together. And, um, and as is always the case when we dig into the scriptures, there is going to be some teaching in this class that's going to hit very close to home. It's going to, as I've been looking through this, some of this stuff is just, you know, kind of hit me right between the eyes recognizing, you know, I need to rethink some of the way I think about a man, some of the way I think about a woman and, and their roles. And uh, I hope that that you will be sensitive to the Spirit's leading, not, you know, putting up a front and saying, well, that's not the way I've ever done it, that's not the way I've ever been, I, I've ever looked at that, and so I'm not going to accept that. We need to submit ourselves to the Word of God and say, listen, God, what is it that you want to teach me with regard to what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, and I'm happy to submit myself to that. Um, and if if that does happen, you know, if we are convicted about our own families, our own, you know, the way we handle ourselves at work or in the neighborhood or or um, at church, then that's okay. That's a good thing. We are becoming more conformed to the image of Christ, more conformed to what the Scriptures want us to be, then uh, that's great because we're all in this for God's glory. It's, um, it, it's a good thing. All right? All right, so our primary source...
will be the scripture, but I'm also going to um, I say why is the sufficiency of scripture vitally important? Uh, because if we search for answers outside of scripture, we often will come with away with the wrong answer, and so we, we go to the scripture instead. All right, so along with uh, let's see, maybe I'll get to that later. Yeah, I'll get to that now. All right, along with the scripture. One of the resources that I'm going to lean heavily on is a, is a book by John Piper and Wayne Grudem called Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. All right, and there are some excellent chapters. If you get this book, I would recommend that you um, that you get this book. Uh, if you if you especially if you want to engage yourself in this thinking, especially if you like to read. Um, but notice the subtitle here: A Response to Biblical Feminism. This is actually directed at a certain. Uh, a certain problem that came up among among uh, liberal churches, and so they're responding to a significant problem. So what you're going to find in this book is there's a lot of heavy material that that you probably can kind of skim over, but but I would strongly encourage you to read the first two chapters. Um, you can purchase it on Amazon for about fifteen dollars, or you can get a free PDF. Okay, that's an electronic version of this whole book on our website. I, I give you the link for that in the members section, and this is the password for it. Okay, We'll just keep that among us girls here. Okay, um, yeah, You can get on to any other part of our website, but, um, but the members section, you need that password. Click on that link, and you'll see uh, both options. You'll see the option for this. You can buy it on Amazon. And then if you're really techy, you've got yourself a Kindle, or you have the Kindle app on one of your devices, you can email this PDF to your Kindle email address. It'll show up on your Kindle, and you can read it wherever you are. So, on your iPhone, whatever you, yeah, whatever device you have there, get the Kindle app. Um, so, so the book spends a significant amount of time going into specific words. Like one whole chapter is on the Greek word kephale, which is head. What does it mean to be the head of the house? And uh, then another chapter on what it means to, to submit to one another in Ephesians chapter 5 and so on. So, so some of that stuff you may want to just skim over. But the first two chapters are really powerful. Um, uh, the second chapter is, is, it was, was excellent. Uh, John Piper writes a section on um, if you want to be loving to your spouse, then you, need, you first need to understand who God is. You're going to be more loving to your spouse when you understand who God is. And it's just, uh, it's worth the price of the book, or the price of the book. Sorry. So, um, so, uh, so I would, uh, I would recommend. And if you have any questions as you're going through that, we're going to, I'm going to be drawing some of the material in this class from this book. If you have questions as you're going through it and you want to talk, I'd be happy to to answer those questions during class or after class, you can contact me throughout the uh, throughout the week or uh, you can just figure it out for yourself. That's okay. Um, now, let me just explain to you uh, that this is not a class on marriage or on parenting primarily. Okay? Biblical man- masculinity and femi- femininity reveal themselves in every area of life, every stage of a Christian man or woman's life. And so you don't have to be married or have children in order to be fully masculine or fully feminine, right? 
Can you think of an example of someone who was fully masculine and wasn't married? In the Scriptures. Christ. Okay? Was he any less masculine because he wasn't married? No. Okay? So you don't have to be married. You don't have to have children in order to to be masculine or feminine. Uh, obviously, many of the applications that we're going to discuss uh, when we get to the, the course outline here in, the, in a few seconds we'll see that some of it does apply to the family and to the marriage relationship. But but it also applies to singles, to couples with no kids, to, to parents, and, and that's part of what we want to explore. All right, so, so this is about every, every single person. So let's turn to the course outlines on the back of your handout. When I take a class, I like to know where things are going, and so here's what we hope to do. Lord willing, over the next 13 weeks. Today is the introduction. And then next week we'll look at the two main views. We're actually going to introduce the two main views, um, egalitarianism and complementarianism, and then we'll, we'll, we'll expand on those more next week. Okay, so that's the first two weeks. And then in weeks three through seven, uh, we're going to talk, we're going to define masculinity and femininity. What does it mean according to the scriptures? What does it look like? And so there are many practical issues that we need to address in these classes, and so and many scriptures to consider. And I think this will help lay a, a really good foundation for the rest of the class because we can't really apply what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman until we first know what those things are. What does the scripture say about them? So we want to start first with an understanding of those. And then in weeks 8 and 9, we'll see how that applies to the home. Okay, how that applies to the home. And then 10 and 11, what does that look like in our church? Okay, what, what, what does this mean about gender roles within the church? What, what kind of responsibilities does this require of me? Because I'm a man or because I'm a woman? Because you might be a woman. Okay. And then biblical manhood and women in the world, the 12th week. Um, is that right? Week 12? Yeah, week 12. And then we'll conclude with some uh, how to answer some objections. You know, if, if people come up to you and say, what about this? You know, this is the way our society says. And this will hopefully help uh, answer some of those questions for you so that you can uh, be able to go back to, to other people who may disagree with you because of their upbringing, because of their societal uh, understanding of biblical Alright, and then, then each week, as, as I try to do, I like to finish with a time to take questions if you have any. And, uh, and of course, I'm happy to talk with you after class or, or after any of the services, or you can contact me during the week. Now, we're not going to be able to cover everything that there is to cover with regard to biblical manhood and womanhood. Um, so, again, if you have things that don't come up in class, uh, then... Um, those out to me and we'll try to try to cover them if that is of in interest or value to you. Alright, any questions on the introduction so far that we're planning to cover? Yeah, we have we'll have we'll have all these recorded for you and put them on our website. And so if you miss a week, yeah, that would be fine. Trying to see if, uh, yeah, you have.
have a schedule here for the end of the, through the end of the year, so it gives you an idea of, of where we're going on these classes. Um, if you don't have one, there's one on the table there. Any other questions? <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, introduce these two main views of manhood and womanhood, and then we'll um, we'll wrap it up for today. All right, first, egalitarianism. Egalitarianism. In there you can see a root word of equality. Okay, it's obviously a different, different, little bit of a different structure, but that's the idea there, equality. And this teaches that God created man and woman as equals, and therefore man and, women, man and woman are equal, in, and here's the important thing, in every respect. Going to, we're going to expand this next week, and we'll see what, what all this uh, means. But, but this is what egalitarianism, egalitarianism is. That man and woman are equal in every respect. That is, with regard to their, their role, uh, uh, with regard to their um, essence, that, that they are the same. And with regard to their roles, and with regard to their function, with regard to their ability, and so on. So this is saying more than what what we would say. We would say that man and women woman are equal with regard to their worth before God. Okay, but this is saying more than that. This is saying they are equal with regard to their responsibility and to their function. And you can imagine how this plays out in our society. The other view is called complementarianism. Complementarianism. Okay, see that that word complement. This isn't like saying something nice about somebody. This is uh, filling filling up where the other person is lacking. It's a, a supporting type of role, right? So men and women are equal in value with regard to their worth before God. They're both made in the image of God. We're going to talk about a lot about that in Genesis chapter one. They're made in the image of God, but they have different roles, don't they? They have different functions. So with regard to substance and value, it's not like anyone's more important, that any one gender is more important than the other, um, but they have different functions. Man was given the responsibility to be a loving authority over woman, and woman was given the responsibility w to willingly submit herself to the man. You see that idea of complementarianism, complementing them? Uh, the woman complimenting the man. <coughs> so, I hope you already have an idea of where I stand on this, where you stand on this, where the scriptures stand on this, but I'm sure if you like me, this brings up a dozen questions. Okay, so what does this look like with regard to, you know, let's say a, a single woman in church? What does this look like with regard to my responsibility? Am I supposed to submit to every single man, or am I supposed to just submit to my father and my husband? So there, there's all sorts of questions that are going to come up. And uh, if you think of them, write them down. It's a great way to remember them for later on. And I, I'm hoping to address a lot of those. But again, I may not. So you'll have to prod me. Make sure that we're, uh, we're uh, scratching where you're itching. All right. Well, we're done a little bit early today. Any uh, questions?
also roll it up to something that was less than valuable. Looks more valuable, looks more appealing, but it was like a fool's gold. Like, yeah. That's a good. Uh, that's a good perspective to have as you go through the class. Is to uh, think about just from God's perspective. What What is our ultimate goal here? What are we trying to do? Uh, aren't we trying to be more pleasing to God? Like Paul says, you know, I want to. Um, I want to make every one of my thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Every single thought. Can you imagine that? If every one of your thoughts were captive to the obedience of Christ. And that's kind of our goal here uh, with regard to understanding these things rightly. Make sure that we're, we are submitting ourselves in obedience to what Christ wants us to think about these roles. We may want to live a certain way. Our society may want to squeeze us into their mold. But, but, uh, but ultimately what's most important is the Scripture and what God has to say. All right, good. Thank you, Jaden. Any, anyone else? Sandra. So if a person was doubting whether or not you know some of these books were correct or not, we would say that um, you know God has preserved them through the. Um, we talked about in in uh, systematic theology about the canonicity of Scripture, a, a book actually becoming part of the canon, which is the canon just means the whole, the whole, the whole Bible, the whole 66 books, and um, so God. God used special means in order to accomplish that. He used the church, actually, the early church, to help verify that these were legitimate and they had certain qualifications they had to meet. One is, like, for the New Testament, they had to be written by an apostle or a close associate of an apostle. Uh, so that's what you're going to find with every single one of them. So then if you didn't have anything like that, someone just, you know, like a Joseph Smith type, hey, I want to put some stuff in there. Well, that doesn't cut it. That doesn't make it into the scriptures. Obviously, Joseph Smith came way after the the Bibles. But the Apocrypha, the Pseudepigrapha, exactly. Yeah, these these additional books. In fact, we're going to talk about one of those this morning, the additions to Esther, because we're starting into the book of Esther. And in order to try to justify the book of Esther, because there's no mention of God there, people have written up, it, no, it actually ends in our Bible, chapter 10, verse 3, but they've added 10.4 through chapter 16. And it's, I mean, it adds all this, these things about God, it adds all these things about prayer, and it's like, oh, and this, this kind of is, is a um, extra-biblical literature that people actually believe. And what you're going to find, I think, this morning when we go through Esther chapter 1 in our introduction to the book of Esther is that you probably believe some of the things from the additions to Esther, too. I'm saying you in general because I believe some of them as well. It's shocking because it just becomes a part of us. Uh, that was a rabbit trail. You were asking about the inerrancy of Scripture and the whole Bible being inerrant, without error. And, uh, yeah, we can be confident in the 66 books that we have that there are no more than, than a, an 
testamental period, and some of those events, maybe all of them might be true, but that doesn't make them biblical, right? Even Paul had some letters that we know about. There were four letters to the Corinthians, but we only have two of them. There were other letters that didn't make it into the canon. There was a letter to Laodicea that he told the churches that you need to send this around to the other churches and read that, and then let them read the letter to the, let, and you need to read the one from Laodicea and so on. So there are other, yeah, there are other truthful writings that are not a part of Scripture, but this is exactly what God wanted us to have. Yeah, good. All right, Greg. They would be well-meaning. Um, I would, I would guess they'd be Christian. I mean, they're trying to, they're actually trying to validate or help support the book of Esther because they don't see any redeeming value in it. So we're going to try to, as we study through the book of Esther, we're going to try to look at it and see that God does have redeeming value for it, even though His name's not mentioned and there's no mention of worship, prayer, or sacrifice in the entire book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a huge problem that you shouldn't add to or take away from the scriptures, whoever does. Yeah. Um, I think they, they were well-intentioned. Maybe, maybe a better way to put it, Greg, would be that they're well-intentioned people. They're trying to they're trying to help support the truth of the scripture, and they don't see how it can be supported without these additions. pray and we'll be dismissed a little early. You can get some snacks and fellowship with one another and uh, then have a service. Lord, thank you for uh, creating us equally in your image. Uh, we thank you that you have explained to us why we were made and what we were made, for what purpose we were made. And we want to fulfill our role as men and women and so we pray that you would give us the grace to understand what it means to be a man according to the scriptures and what it means to be a woman pray that the result of it would be that our our church would be more unified around the centrality of the, the gospel and its truth, and that we would be a shining light to one another and to the unbelievers around us in our community and in our relationships. May your name be honored through us, we pray in Jesus' name.